Hey everybody, Space Junk Time, and uh, Dustin and I, <laughs> we have some splaining to do. Uh, this podcast, I'm breaking in even before I put in the intro, because Dustin and I want to kind of brace you for what to expect coming up on this particular podcast. Um, this was a different one, wasn't it, Dustin? <laughs> <laughs> different, uh, yeah, different's a good way to describe it. Uh, yeah. yeah, we had Dr. Nick Galitsky, one of the most respected people um, in, you know, obviously, you know, in Antarctica, right? Right. Uh, but, Cosmologist, yeah. by the way. Yeah, this guy is incredible. <laughs> Every time I've heard him talk, he's just absolutely amazing. But we had this idea to, um, how do you say it, man? Just get him drunk. <laughs> yeah, and because you've got Wavelength Brewery nearby, which is an enabler of all kinds of bad behavior, <laughs> right. these these guys all got together in the studio at OPT, and well, you're about to hear what happened, but we wanted to kind of give you a heads up that this is not a typical space junk podcast. Uh, at least I don't think it will become a typical one. No, but, no, yeah. So not. what you know? Why don't you tell everybody what to expect, and then we'll just get going. <laughs> yeah, so this one is not for the faint of heart. Um, I would say, you know, especially near the end, you know, if you're traveling with small children, this is not the one to turn up loud. Um, just fair warning, there was quite a bit of drinking in this podcast, and uh, the conversation is awesome. This guy is incredible, but um, I think you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, but there's I a little more, <laughs> there, there are a little more slurred words than normal. So just fair warning. That's right. And this is one of those things where I really wished I was there. I'm two, I'm 3000 miles away, but I really, we had a, we had a lot of fun anyway. So what you're going to hear is a normal, the, the podcast goes on for about an hour. Then I thought we were done, but we weren't really done. Uh, and everybody just kept talking. So I pushed the record button again and there's another half an hour of stuff going on after the, after the fact. So you'll, you'll hear me say, thanks for listening. Keep looking up. And then we're going to keep going for a bit longer after that so please let us know what you guys think i think we're i think we're getting close to our website being up spacejunkpodcast.com uh and so and but you can certainly uh interact with us at uh at uh, spacejunk at deepastronomy.com if you want to send an email or something like that let us know what you think so keep an eye out for the website and here we go and let's do it <laughs> enjoy Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from deepastronomy.space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. It was, hey, uh, we're going we're gonna to say that was your problem, but the truth is, man, um, I had my phone plugged into my computer and it was causing all kinds of havoc. But uh, I like how you just say you're going to say this is my problem. It actually might Well, I'm going to wait till you're recording to say that. Yeah. Once you're no, recording, which, then I'm going to say I that am. shit. <laughs> all right cool oh, you're, well, all, you're glad, already recording i, I, I <laughs> learned that you. lesson i learned that lesson long ago start the record button immediately capture all yeah. material for later uh for later extortion so that's what this is all about so you got dr well, nick over there me i do dr nick galiski is right here next to me say hi nick hi there hey nick's good can to you meet me? you i can hear you loud all right clear. good to meet you over here yeah 
Yeah, so you're so we've in also got Oceanside. Hans here, but um, Hans. we're not sure that his mic. Tony, can you hear me? No. Nope. Oh. And oh, there it falls fail. Apart. Podcast fail. There. So it's so crazy. We can hear him perfectly. And um, because he's in the same room yeah. there, Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> if I were in the same room, I could hear it perfectly too. <laughs> no, man. No, no, no. We've got all our headphones on and everything. And he's coming through loud and clear. We see his audio signal, but, um, you know, I don't know. Say something. Uh, Let me see if you're, if, if it's actually recording you, Hans. Check one, two. Can you hear me? No, it's actually, it's no, not it's making it through. Totally there. denied. Yeah. It's not, it's not making it through the. Do you want to try to mess with it? OPT. Let me <laughs> let me let Hans mess with this for a second because he's the one that brought the beer, and we are all sitting here <laughs> drinking beer. Damn, I think I'm the furthest behind. I got to catch up. Uh, wow. Although all you right, guys cool. are drinking, you guys are drinking like two percent beer. Two percent. This is the White Walker one. Yeah. Uh, Hans makes two yeah, percent beer. Diego. That's hard to find. No, he doesn't. I didn't think so. So you guys, uh, just so we know, let's do a quick plug. That's Hans from Wavelength Brewery, who I think is supplying the beer for this. And while we're getting them set up, let me just tell everybody who don't who doesn't know what you're doing. If you're listening to this podcast, you are listening to the Space Junk Podcast with Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes. And that's what you're doing. In case you didn't know, in your podcast, although I don't even know, you have to actively work at getting podcasts onto your device before so you probably know what you're doing but just in case um and our guest today is uh, dr nick galiski he is i think you work at the south pole telescope right nick uh not quite i worked in i did do an antarctic project but i did the weird one which it's a balloon born one. So oh, let's clarify that let's I, did, clarif- I never made it to the pole um but i made it to mcmurdo Okay, so let's clarify that then. There is something called a South Pole Telescope located in the South Pole, but that's not the same thing that you did. You sent balloons. Well, we tried to. (laughs) Oh. Um, Yeah, so there's a a little-known NASA program called uh, Long Duration Ballooning um, that NASA runs out of a bunch of locations. They launch a bunch of these, but their, I would say, premier location is out of Antarctica, and it's that balloon born program that I'm part of uh, in that I've helped, or I guess my yeah. thesis really was designing and building uh, one of the cameras for a telescope called BLAST, which stands for the Balloon Born Large Aperture Submillimeter Telescope. So we looked at uh, some millimeter d- emission from the galaxy. And the, the long and short of that was we were supposed to launch this year. Um, and it was very dramatic buildup. Everything was running perfectly. Things were going great down in Antarctica, which doesn't always happen. Frequently doesn't. Um, and and then we didn't get a launch window. So you you got, you mean to say that things in Antarctica can be tough sometimes? Yeah, I've heard it's a harsh continent. Wow. Yeah, when you when you didn't get a launch, what does that, that mean? You didn't get a launch window. The weather wouldn't let you launch, or NASA was yeah. Like the not weather was um, we were. It was it was twofold. Um, they were they're pushing out a number of experiments this year, so we were the fourth one in line. So that didn't help. Um, but we were kind of the largest, the most difficult to launch. Um, and our I guess setup time. You know, you get down there and you got to, you know, unpack a container and build a telescope that's the size of a small bus, and you got about a month to do it. Um, and so just our process took longest of the missions that were deployed that, uh, this year. So, or I shouldn't say this year, technically it was the last year, but since it, you know, kind of happens through December and January, it's, it gets confusing. Um, 
long story short, we we had I think four attempts where we went out and we were ready to go, um, but uh, weather scrubs pretty much all of them. Um, so do you, did you so have the? Does that mean you had the balloon inflated, ready to go, or you were getting ready to inflate the balloon? No, NASA is very tentative about taking the balloon out of the box because the balloon costs a few hundred thousand dollars, and once you take it out, you can't put it back in. So they they like to hang out and. Get everything ready the and balloon then they just, out of the box until yeah. I blow this whistle. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, they are. Tell, tell, the weather is just perfect, and yeah. then they'll take it out of the box, and then you go. But uh, so then, we got put in uh, literal cold storage for a year. We'll go back use, uh, uh, this fall, and yeah. And these use helium. But you were hanging out in Antarctica, though. I mean, that's where the party is, right? There are a few parties down there. Yeah, it's great fun. Are there really? Oh, absolutely. You ever been to Ice Stock? I mean, who are you? <laughs> that's what I was going to ask is who the hell are you partying with? Like, who's down there? Uh, well, that's a, a little known fact. McMurdo is a great place to be because it's the, the biggest base on the continent. Uh, it's almost a thousand people. I think I only saw it get a little over 900 while I was there, but they keep a list going. And, um, you know, mostly it's uh, support staff, the, the townies. They're great people. Uh, having a lot of fun down there. Uh, it's like adult college all over again. So you got, you know, they're, they're hanging out there. Um, uh, you know, everyone's got a role, right? You're the baker, you're the cook, you're a dishwasher, you're the plumber, electrician, uh, drivers, you know, so many things to make that base run, uh, and not fall apart, especially since a lot of the buildings were built in like the sixties by the military. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, a interesting scene down there. And then you got the whole NASA crew. We have our own kind of separate base, a little out in the ice sheet. I think there's over a hundred of us down there this year, something like that. We were a big chunk of the percentage, um, or maybe it was over yeah, it's between fifty and hundred. I think. Anyway, um, yeah. Why? So you know, when why you get a I night get off, the, people have fun. Yeah. Why do I get the feeling that when you get off the C one thirty at on the ice sheet in Antarctica, there's a big banner that says "What happens in Antarctica stays yeah. in Antarctica." Why I, I have this <laughs> feeling that that's. I mean, First of all, I got to know about these. these oh, so you've these. been. <laughs> I, have, I was just, I'm gleaning this from your, from your tales here. I love that you have to say the ice sheet. Like it's not just the entire continent, right? Like, is there a place where you go? You're like, oh yeah, this is definitely like the warm weather. Like <laughs> well, it is summer patch. when you go. We're. Yeah, it's summer. We're in Murdo. It's known as a beach town, kind of a destination resort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's on met, an island. You're met with <laughs> almost with, tropical with girls, and they give you a, a lay necklace to go. It's, yeah, you get flower shirts. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. People do go for a swim. I've heard. How long were you there? <laughs> How long were you there? Uh, this time around, I was only there uh, a month. Um, last time in 2012 was the last time I deployed. Uh, I was there for about two to three months. Uh, and then what, um, when you was talking about with the South Pole Telescope, those guys at the pole, they usually go for a bit longer. Um, but I did just see this notice on my Facebook page today. Mm-hmm. If you are so inclined, you can apply to winter over at the South Pole and take care of a telescope. Wow. So then you can spend six months in the dark. Wow. Great yeah. fun, yeah. I mean, it's still, that's pretty cool, though. Like, I, I know the six months in the dark, I mean, sucks. Yeah. But, you know, not if you're an amateur astronomer. Ever? Right, if you're an well, amateur right. astronomer, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I would I would recommend. Well, I think on Twitter, it's South Pole Telescope is they, they've been actively posting pictures where they're just take you know fantastic um, at this point twilight shots of the telescope as the sun is slowly getting lower and lower. And I think they just said uh, what yesterday or today they reached uh, astronomical twilight sometime this week. Yeah. Wow. 
So yeah, this is um, <laughs> you know, the start of this this discussion, I have to say, wasn't a good one. When we were like, let's have Doctor Nick here on the podcast, <laughs> it was um, it was born of something terrible. And what it was is, we've heard you speak, and your talks are incredible. They really are, truly. So I think <laughs> most, you enjoyed of, it. most of the staff here have heard you speak, and they're very, very interesting. And the stuff you're doing is, I mean, it's at, you know, in Antarctica. It's not something you hear every day, right? But well, not um, something you hear every day. But. Yeah, well, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. But, you know, the other side of it is we thought this guy is way too well-respected. We need to bring him on this podcast. Well, I don't know about and that. just yeah. like, how, how much beer can we get him to drink on a podcast? Because <laughs> you know? I feel like maybe there's a way. To get somebody that is smart to not be. And that's what this is. So you're kind of a test. Alcohol here. is, yeah. I, well, I feel like that theory has been pretty well tested. This over is science, the years. man. This is science. You know, we're testing this hypothesis. So welcome to the show. All right. Well, God, thanks for having me, guys. We're glad you're here. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. If you had beer every time, I mean, that's probably one of the better podcasts, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, we might start doing that. Hans, you're part of that. I think we can make that happen. Hans, Hans is an enabler, isn't he? Beer, he, beer and he, science. Hans is an, an, an a enabler. professional enabler. Yeah, yeah. At one point, our wavelength and OPT just going to merge. <laughs> yeah, that needs to happen sooner Wave than PT. later. Look at these growlers, and you know, I'm drinking. I'm drinking a beer right now called Infrared. What percentage of alcohol is this thing? Uh, that one is eight point eight percent. Eight point eight percent. All right, uh, hang so, on. Stop. 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 Dustin. Dustin, you have to do something right now for me, because the last time Hans was on our podcast. You made reference to his beard. So what I want you to do right now is to get on oh, Instagram man. on and post a, and post a picture of Hans on your Instagram account. This is Dustin Picks, by the way. Or is that right? Uh, Gibson, Gibson, Gibson Picks. Picks. Gibson Picks. Gibson Picks on Instagram. Yeah. And that way, because I got so many questions after that last bio. What's that beard look like? So we're gonna we're gonna give you That's guys a good beard. I got a little beard envy too because I got one, but it, it's. Yeah, I just can't get well, that. Well, so does Dustin. No, he no, fell in love with it last time. He couldn't stop talking about it. It's not love as much as it is fear. <laughs> you know? This thing <laughs> strikes shit, fear man, into that, the hearts look of at men. That beard. Look at this thing. It's so gnarly, man. So you don't even have to wear a shirt, Hans. This thing just covers everything. <laughs> you know? Debatable. But um, okay, I'm posting I'm All posting right. this photo All right, I'm right now. Let me fire up Insta. Um, you know what? I'm going to take a picture of you too, though, because you have the equivalent but hair. You're right. Yeah. yeah. This, this is my other claim to fame is uh, there. There is in fact a online uh, association called the Luxuriant Flowing Hair Club for Scientists, oh, uh, which my I gosh. I really want to be on. <laughs> and and, and really, you didn't make it? Oh, I absolutely. No, I was in there. I got in. We're good. We're good. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. The board, right? Oh, there you are. Hey, you're, are you? Yeah. So you're doing this live, Dustin. Are you streaming this live? Oh, OPT Corp um, is. Yeah. Oh, we I did are. not know that. Yeah. Ah, I see. Oh. You're, I'm watching his live stream here. Oh, are we now? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Look, so here, here's what's going to happen. I never drink. I don't. Like, I like scotch, but I drink it so rarely, right? So, like, this will be the most alcohol I've had in five years. But right. I'm willing to do that to get you drunk. So, <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. So, I just want to see what happens when you get a scientist. Is it like a podcast, like an equivalent of trying to sleep with somebody at this point? Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, hey, he wasn't kidding about turning off the lights earlier. <laughs> You're the one that lives in six months of darkness, man. That's not, uh, that's not typically what goes down here at OPT, but you know, anyway. 
I mean, what happens happens, right? Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Happens at OPT, stays at OPT, but clearly not because we're live streaming it. Hans is over here um, turning red right now. (laughs) And and this is surreal. I'm watching you guys. This is weird. Oh, wow. Tony, that was was the... That was we the oldest you? thing you've ever said, man. You're, <laughs> you're looking at Instagram being like, this is so real. It's like, <laughs> I know. Well, it's surreal because I'm talking to you on this podcast and watching the live stream. And now it's like, there they are. Yeah. Cool. Yes. The one. Yeah. Does Instagram do like what YouTube does? Can you see this later so that it can be relevant for our podcast when it's posted? Or is this just going to go into the ether? Do you want you want me to explain what Instagram is? <laughs> I've never live stream on Instagram, so yes, I would like you to tell me what's going to happen to this live stream after it's on OPT Corp's um, account, by the way. You yeah, yeah, people you, will you, be able to click on it. Oh, okay, cool. Because um, yeah, people will be able to see this, Tony. No, yeah. you don't understand. It's it's all you, okay, you, man. You don't understand if it's a if it's a <laughs> if it's a right. story if it's a story it's going bye bye. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll go it'll go away in what twenty four hours? I think is how that works with stories, right? So if, then it isn't going it to be to relevant highlights? to the podcast. And don't don't tell me I don't know my, oh, my social I got media. You. Yeah, you're saying so you're saying what, by the by the time this gets on, time, which might be weeks later. I got you, Dustin. Hello. Yep. Then I got people you. won't I got be you. able to. You know, I do stream myself on occasion, so I do know that. And if you're on YouTube, if you were on YouTube. Doing what? In this, yeah. then I would be able to reference it later. <laughs> but no. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, that beard, Doing what? Doing deep astronomy. <laughs> doing That's right. Doing the deep astronomy. Okay, guys. By the way, Tony, I, I added some videos from your YouTube channel um to the playlist in our tasting room you've got fantastic content and uh, oh thank you we got it rolling through the tasting room now oh my gosh well thank you i'm glad to hear that well uh this newfangled interwebs when i figure them out um i might be able to post some more new stuff i don't know instagram i mean come on you know check your aol account i I sent you a a chat message thank you thank you (laughs) i have to uh i have to i'm still getting my modem back it's it's in the shop but as soon as my (laughs) as soon as my i got a new one though it's like a 44 uh baud 44k baud modem so i'm set oh man yeah yeah (laughs) i am like i am in the 1990s now so don't don't fuck with me let's let's stop making fun of tony like i'm starting to feel i'm starting to feel bad about it so anyway um (laughs) I think that what we need to do here is I need to know how, so you're, I mean, you're working with NASA directly, right? With what you're doing. Yeah, I fairly. Mean, this yeah. is, that's who's funding this yeah. project, right? The big balloon, hundreds of thousands of dollars yep. of balloon and the best idea. So, you know, we don't, we don't launch many of our telescopes on balloons, but I'd imagine, I mean, it makes you a lot of try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I want to, that's why I have questions. So, so what's the idea? Like why, why balloons instead of just, you know, putting it because you have to do that every few weeks, right? Wouldn't you have to do that every few weeks? Um, it, well, okay. So, why balloons is uh, they're they're cheaper than a satellite. That's that's really what it comes down to. And technically, the NASA program that funds this is kind of um, developing space technologies. So, this gets into real deep NASA, you know, engineering speak. But they have a, a thing called a technology readiness level (TRLs). I love their acronym. So TRLs, and I think it's one through five. And that basically is a, a, a metric of how, you know, how ready a technology is to go into space. 
right? And so you kind of start in the laboratory, has it been tested in the laboratory, then it's to have you test it in a space-like environment, like throw some, you know, high energy rays at it, something like that. Um, and then ballooning is, is one of these ways where you can really advance at one or two steps because effectively you're putting a technology in a space-like environment for the fraction of the cost of a satellite. Um, and that's kind of, I think, where a lot of that ballooning program came, where it's still funded. Um, and to boot, you know, so that's kind of a big part of it is the technology. So a lot of what we do is trying to find new technologies that might be interesting uh, to put on a satellite that somebody might want to put on a satellite someday. So the balloon I'm talking about, it's a new type of detector that uh, we have along with the electronics associated with it. They've never gone into space before. Uh, if we launch and show that these detectors work great in space, then that could be a, a huge milestone for um, motivating to put them on a future satellite. Okay, so that's kind of like why and the funding. And so I say cheap, and it's a few million per launch, up to tens of millions per launch. Sure, that's still way cheaper. Than, way cheaper yeah. than a satellite. So, yeah, so what? Like, what is a a low cost satellite that's not like a CubeSat? What What does that cost? Well, though, I just uh, on the present, I just gave a presentation two nights ago. Anyway, uh, talking about the Bear Sheet mission, the one that went to the moon. Mm -hmm. They did it for a hundred million, so you can go to the moon for now for a hundred million. Um, you know, and I think you are starting to see that right where you get piggyback missions on satellites. So small stuff, uh, it's a, I think it is entering the tens of million dollar ream. Don't quote me on that, but sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, for telescopes, and this is the thing that to realize is it's the size of a small bus. It weighs 6,000 pounds. It's, uh, got a two and a half meter diameter mirror. You know, it's, it's a big guy. And so getting a satellite like that up is always in the billions, almost always. Yeah. And I know that like you NASA guys are, are really smart, right? But um, I don't think this was all that creative an idea. Like I saw this movie with this guy that launched his house on balloons. What was that thing called? <laughs> <laughs> so the old man, right? Yeah, yeah the old man. Yeah. Up. It was classic. Was up. Up. Oh, up. Up. Yes. Up. Yeah. Yeah. up. Yeah. So what we I mean, strive is, for, yeah. was that kind of the the idea? Is that where the idea came from? All right. Um actually, you know what? If you really want to go into hilarious stuff that's uh going on with balloons, I think there was a guy in LA that launched himself on a lawn chair. No, he was in Colorado balloon. Yeah. Really? Oh, this is Colorado. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. This really happened. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was kidding. So this really happened. With a shotgun or something so he could uh, blow them up. You know, he had a few balloons and he could pop them so he could come back down. Wow. He survived, which is impressive. But that yeah, that was really, really the inspiration, I assume. Yeah. That's amazing. And he was arrested <laughs> later. It's yeah. like, man, we should have given him a, a camera. He would have yeah. got some great pictures. Right. <laughs> yeah. So when you get up on your balloons, because these are big telescopes, right? What's, yep. what's, what's the size? What's the aperture? Uh, two and a half meters. Okay. Wow. Wow, that's a really big telescope. That's a big telescope. But well, these are radio that? telescopes, uh, right? For five you, right? to six millimeters. Sub -millimeter, so we're yeah. we're far infrared, is what okay. we like to say. Yeah. All right, far infrared. And the whole idea, right, is it's you know atmospheric window, right? If uh, you want to do, I can count on my hand probably the number of uh, sub millimeter observatories in the world, mm -hmm. because the atmospheric uh, water vapor just kills the signal, just in the full far sure. infrared. Area. Except you're so high up, you don't have to worry. So about high up, above over ninety nine percent of the atmosphere up there. So wow. we're 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 up about a hundred and fifteen thousand feet is our cruising altitude. So we we cool. really get up there um, on these massive balloons. Um, ooh, that's you know as long as we're talking social media, there's this great guy. I think he's an Argentinian. I don't remember his name, but he runs a website and a Twitter account called Stratocat. Mm. And this guy has made his life tracking balloon-borne missions. 
Uh, and so for a long time, he's been following all the NASA ones. So okay. um, because they, you know, they were one of the big players in town. But nowadays with like Google and some people trying to do like, you know, um, cheaper than satellite, right? Internet access, broadband stuff. Sure. There's a bunch of these balloons floating around up there with much smaller payloads. Like you can, you know, do a smaller <clears throat> balloon and a payload that's like maybe 100 pounds or something like that. Sure. Um, and one of the Antarctic missions that launched this year was probably about the size of a coffee table. It probably weighed about 50 pounds. So I do still do some smaller missions like that. Um, but so if again, you, technology demonstrator, <clears throat> so forth, but you're saying like, if it's a million dollars to launch this balloon with your two meter scope, right? Yeah. I'd, I'd probably more ordered tens of millions, tens of millions for our whole project. Yeah. Okay. But you have to relaunch it every few weeks. No. So we launch and we stay up for, um, well, normally we'll stay up for four weeks. Okay. We get one month of observing. Okay. And then we crash land and we get the pieces back. And then we got to go back to NASA to reapply for more funding if we want to go again. And it's just that four weeks of observing. This is kind of the crazy thing. In certain wavelengths, you know, the the atmospheric uh, effect of blocking the, the radiation coming to Earth, what we can accomplish in four weeks is better than a ground-based observatory can accomplish in years. Really? Yeah. It's just insane. Because, you know, if you have atmosphere blocking 80, 90% of your signal. Right you know that's a huge gain and you don't have to deal with all the, the other effects you get from the atmospheric uh, contamination yeah. so it's a niche science and i should say with the ballooning program we're not you know it's not just millimeter submillimeter science that's going up there there's x-ray experiments these okay. x-rays you can't observe from the ground you got to right. get above it so there was an x-ray guy launched this year uh cosmic rays as well those guys uh, blocked by the atmosphere which is good but yeah, uh, yeah makes yeah. it hard to observe them so the cosmic ray experiments and then there's also a kind of class of experiments that does the other odd thing you know there's climate uh related things high atmosphere sampling there's guys that are looking uh there's a whole class of guys who are looking down at the ice and so what they're looking for is high energy particles hitting the ice and causing an explosion of smaller particles to scatter out and they collect those so really what you're seeing is like this, again, this kind of weird niche science area. It's a lot of fun to look at ballooning missions because it's really creative space where people are like, you know, what, what can I do with this platform that demonstrates NASA technology so they'll support it, but also does this weird niche science case that nobody else can do. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of the world we live in. And I love it. It's a lot of fun. It's wild ride. And it's a smaller group of people. You know, we're, our collaboration is dozens on our, our telescope and we're kind of just building yeah. it from the ground up kind of, you know, and, and it. That's, I think, for years, it's also been seen as like the wild west of astronomy or, you know, uh, because you get these billion dollar ground based installations, right? And you got a whole army of engineers going at it. Um, whereas for us, it's, you know, half a dozen guys in a lab trying to hack something together that NASA will sign off on to throw up into the upper atmosphere. Yeah. And you kind of hope it, uh, that is one of the requirements, by the way, is that uh, when it comes down the parachute, it doesn't fall into multiple pieces. They don't care if it breaks. Just as long as pieces don't fall off, that's that's the requirement. Mm. So you know, it's, it is kind of just yeah. loose and wild, and you get a lot of more free reign. It allows you to get behind a lower budget. You know, it's oh, yeah, it's fun. Well, yeah, it sounds fun. It, yeah. uh, except for the part of like you know, I've sold living, it. All right, of living in Antarctica. Well, yeah. Why? Well, that we're only down there a few months. We're just down there for the summer. As I said, beach resort, great fun, yeah. parties all oh, the time. Oh, for yeah, sure, yeah. I believe that. Definitely, <laughs> I definitely believe that. 
So in one of your talks at uh, Wavelength, uh, actually the one that you live streamed uh, from Antarctica, oh yeah, uh, which was super fun. That worked. Really that was well. great fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you were showing off the uh, the bar at the New Zealand base. Oh yeah, that uh, sounds like quite the uh, recreational base. spot, Scott Base. Yeah. So if you want some more deets on the drinking scene down there, which makes sense because we are drinking on this podcast, right? Sure. Uh, so what, what do astronomers in Antarctica do um, in their off time? Uh, because they definitely don't allow drinks at the NASA base, to be clear. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there's effectively three and a half bars in town. All right. So so there's What's the half. So that's the the wine bar. That's like it's called the coffee house, and it's got like a theater, and it's more like a relaxed space. They got a lot of board games, and you <clears> can <throat> drink there. Oh. You can have wine there. They also have common rooms where you can drink. You, know, you can kind of yeah. drink anywhere that's not a. I, I guess yeah workspace yeah. right yeah. yeah um i think this year is recently they started allowing uh, people to drink in the galley during dinner hours so that was new anyway um but okay so let's get to oh, the bars new yeah yeah like most spaces at this point uh open container law is pretty loose yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh not a lot of regulation on that yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there you go. Just sure. like stroll out on the ice sheet. Yeah, crack one open. No problem. Really? Um, yeah. Just don't spill it. Otherwise, you got to get a spill kit. They're a little picky about that. So oh, be careful. Yeah. Uh, no party fouls. Uh, no, so they got bar, two bars. Was it Southern Exposure and Gallagher's? That's the American based bars. Okay. Um, Gallagher's is more the event space. They got more of a dance floor. Um, Are you a dancer? Yeah, oh, I'm into it. Yeah, yeah, you're into you gotta cut loose sometimes. Yeah, you know? do you? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, then you got uh, what was it? Then oh, Southern Exposure is more like a traditional dive bar. Okay. You know they, they don't allow smoking in any of the Wood bars, floors. but people smoked in there for so many years, it still smells like it. You right. Get that, that, <laughs> right. Yeah, that soaked in feel to it. You know, dart board, foosball table, okay. so forth. Yeah. So yeah. that's like fights, that whole thing. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, and then it's also interesting because they don't they don't have anything on draft. It's, uh, they don't ship down cakes. So they ship down bottles. Um, and I was trying to remember which ones. Is the beer cold down there? Yeah. Yeah. It that's is. not as a problem. Yeah. yeah. Stick it outside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not for too long. But yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's it. They got an all right selection. But it, it it is mostly American beer at the the two American bars, obviously. So mm-hmm. it's like, uh, I think they had Fat Tire. They had okay. Takate, Coors Light. I'm forgetting what the other ones were. Uh, Sierra Nevada. Hans, Hans, are you so listening to this? Are nice you listening ones? to this, Hans? There are. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing Fat Tire. That's a that's a guts in Colorado. That's my old neck of the woods there. Uh, where where are the where I'm are hearing the wave- a call to arms. Where are, yeah, I'm hearing some opportunity here uh, that you need to get in the South Pole <laughs> South Pole uh, beer drinking market. There's a whole continent on this planet that doesn't have good craft beer. We got to work. Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. What a problem. What a problem. I don't know how you missed that, Hans. Yeah. You need to. Wide open. There's a market. I take that back. Uh, Sierra Nevada is great stuff. It is good. Yeah, they have have options. You know, you can get wine. There's also liquor options. I don't know. So Uh, what are you hoping to find? Because you study the origin of the universe, right? Well, right now I do. So I switch topics a little bit between graduate and postdoc. Okay. So the balloon born experiment is very much looking at our galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's looking at stuff real close by hundreds of parsecs away. Okay. Uh, local area of our Milky Way, looking at star formation. Right. At so, one of your talks, you actually talked about the Horsehead Nebula. Yeah. And how, yeah, you said some really interesting things there. Um, I mean, it's um, it's one that offers a perspective that others do not, right? For a few right. reasons you were describing. Do you mind going into that? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great visual of what we look at because it's a dark nebula. 
And so uh, for optical, you know, telescopes, you're looking at that in relief, right? It's uh, backlit. And it's incredibly dark because it absorbs most optical wavelengths. Um, so we look at effectively dark nebula, yeah. And in the you know far infrared, they're the brightest sources on the sky. Um, because what's going on in those is it's really cold uh, dust and gas that's slowly condensing and forming stars. Uh, but in such an early stage that stars haven't really formed yet. So, and that's what the horse head is. Yeah. Okay. So, so these are areas that are, it will be stellar nurseries. They'll start with a bunch of star formation in the you know, near future. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hundreds sure, of millions yeah. of years. And or that's the thing right is, is the, this time scales always make this stuff. Wow. That was a hell of a poor Hans. <laughs> Look at that. It's like, you've done this before. Yeah. He right. almost knows yeah. for those on the podcast <laughs> missing that. out. That was out of a Man. growler. Just perfect pour. Nice head looks on like it. something mm. off the Simpsons. Mm. Beautiful. Know? Hopefully. Yeah. Look this is, that. That's just worth checking out the live stream for God, just that aspect. Pause yeah. for a moment of silence, <laughs> you know. But anyway, um, yeah. So, cheers. yeah, cheers, guys. This is this is uh, good. I have so <laughs> many questions for you. So many questions. So you are now studying the origin of the universe, correct? Correct. And so, what exactly? Because I mean, I know there so many different ways you could go about it. like what exactly are you saying? yeah no there's a lot of ways to uh look at look at how oh, well cosmology right so this is the study of the history of the universe how it all kind of came together and how it's evolving and we're we're looking back as far as we like literally as far as we can look back uh so this is the cosmic microwave background it's millimeter radiation uh, it's commonly described as the glowing ember of the Big Bang. And the, the concept is, right, uh, the Big Bang happened. The universe was this incredibly hot, dense plasma. And then the universe expands and cools. And eventually uh, cools enough that you start forming, um, or you start, I guess the hydrogen starts deionizing. And effectively, that's called the surface of uh, last scattering, where all of a sudden photons, instead of, you know, getting you know, five feet and hitting something, they're actually are able to start traveling out through space and not collide with anything until they get to our eyes, our telescopes, uh, 14 billion years later. So this is ideas. You can't actually look at the Big Bang because the universe was opaque then. You, know, you, you couldn't see through it. So the earliest you can look at is about uh, 300 and something thousand uh, years after the Big Bang, when things have cooled off enough that light can actually travel through space to eventually get to us here 14 billion years later. And we can look at it and what we're specifically looking at, because this this has been studied pretty extensively for know, the last 40, 50 years. Um, what we've gotten into in the latest big push has been looking at the polarized light from the, the cosmic microwave background. And it's that polarized light, the basically the patterns it makes on the sky uh, that can tell us, can give us clues about what happened in the first fraction of a second after the Big Bang. Okay. And basically, in sync, that that rapid expansion, that rapid formation process early in the universe, uh, would have essentially distorted space and time in certain ways that would have given this, you know, effectively this kind of swirly pattern in the polarization signal. And I should point out, this is you know, you're getting into like my job talk practically, yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is you know how I link all this together is the the you know nearby star forming regions I studied with the Balloonborn Telescope. Oh, I should say the CMB stuff I'm working on is all ground based in Chile, uh, but the Balloonborn Telescope looked at the galactic emission, also polarized, and the CMB looks at the microwave emission from the beginning of the universe, and they're correlated because in order to look at the cmb you have to look out of our galaxy 
Sure. You know, I as a cosmologist sure. would be like, darn, you know, it's really unfortunate that we're stuck in the middle of our galaxy. If we were out on the edge, it'd be a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, whenever we're looking at the most distant thing, you see everything between you and it. So, right. um, so the galactic signal, it turns out, is a lot stronger than we thought it was. Uh, I guess five, ten years ago, we thought it was going to be a lot weaker. Turns out, it's a very notable polarized signal from our galaxy. From uh, and that gets into you know the galactic structure, but it's effectively magnetic fields in our galaxy are causing some of the light that's emitted to be polarized. And it's a signal that is very similar to the one we're looking at from the beginning of the universe. Wow. And so you need to be able to decouple them. You do that in frequency. They emit at different peak frequencies. So that's how we kind of tease them apart. Uh, but you need to have a really good understanding of what our galaxy is doing. And then also a really good understanding of what you expect the CMB to be doing. Uh, in order to get them apart. And that's kind of what we're working on right now. Yeah. So 6,000 years ago, when the universe started, when the Big Bang yeah. happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? um, Really fast expansion, man. Boy, oh, yeah. well, I want to yeah, thank everybody for joining, um, and uh, thank you for listening to <laughs> Space Junk. Uh, my name is Tony Darnell from Beep Down. Thank you all for listening, and as always, we got to go. <laughs> 6,000 years old, does so, it? <laughs> so, I well, do, he, was just, he was just getting to the part where it made everything flat, including the Earth. <laughs> Oh my God! Rumor anyway, right? That's what your balloons are doing. <laughs> oh yes. yeah, six thousand years ago when the up there taking began. those fake pictures. Yes, but anyway, um, so I have a question for you though, because every time I don't know, I don't know much about uh, CMB at all. At yeah. All. So right, I, like I can. That's ask fair. Most these, people don't. Yeah, I have no reason. It, it doesn't really. <laughs> it's matter not the most much. photogenic either. My, honestly, yeah, but, it's yeah. not. But that's what I have a question about right, is right. the photo. So every time I see the photo, you have all those green and yellow and red and everything, right? <laughs> oh and, yeah. And uh, for people that don't know, just Google like Google image search CMB map or CMB image and you'll see it's just like, oh, splotches. Cool. Is yeah. this a Roshark test? Yeah. What should I yeah. be seeing here? Like- <laughs> you were like, man, I love this photo. I'm about to dedicate my yeah. life to this oh, photo. My God. <laughs> yeah. This is also what I say is we got like the most you know boring telescopes. You're, you're like, oh, Hubble, you know, it picks out the spot in the sky and it stares at this beautiful image of galaxies right a few months later. And it's like, what do you do? And you're like. Well, we've been staring at this patch of sky for about 20 years. Um, and what we're going to do is stare at it for another 10. <laughs> but a better and camera, it's... it'll be, well, not less blurry, say, but, you know, more refined. Yeah. <laughs> more expensive. Yes. The amount of money per pixel is uh, getting impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you, so you have these blurry, uh, boring images. And no, we do the best we can. We did a great color scale. I mean, imagine no. if they were black and white. Come on. Yeah. 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 Well, for sure. <laughs> instead, of, instead, it's blue and red. I always thought it looked like a big rash, yeah. like the universe had a rash. That's what it looks like. <laughs> well, it kind of, it kind of, I mean, is. Yeah. quantum fluctuations could be a nice euphemism. Yeah. God. You got to, so, you got to clear up those so quantum that, fluctuations, man. They're like, that <laughs> just took this podcast to the nerdy level I'm uncomfortable with. That joke right there. Um, hey, come on. Dustin, don't so, collapse my wave function, man. I, oh God. So here's my question about that picture. You know, if you look in any direction, you can see that, right? The, the yeah. CMB. How is that? Like, I think of the Big Bang as, you know, an explosion and then expanding outward. Why don't we look in one direction to see that? Right. That's a, that's a common question. I can do my best I can to explain it. Um, so would you agree that the universe is infinite? 
I, I as far as we you. know, I was going to ask you. As far as yeah. we know, yeah. This gets oh, this gets right back to the flatness. It's, we think it's flat. He so thinks the universe is six thousand years yeah, old. Don't ask Dustin. <laughs> well, no, there you no, go. No, That's no, a problem. No, uh, no or, I mean, I honestly don't know the answer to that question, but um, sure, I would imagine it is. I can't imagine there being a wall anywhere. Right. Okay. Despite what we've been watching on Game of Thrones. Right. No, no. <laughs> That's pretty. Pretty. It's getting pretty good. All right. So I got to link that. In. Anyway, um, topical. Topical. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, so as far as we can tell, the universe is infinite. Uh, and so the idea with the Big Bang is, well, right now we observe it's expanding. It's getting larger. Things are moving away from each other. So most of cosmology is based on the principle of the rewind button. Hit rewind. Everything gets closer together. Okay. And so this is the, the basic principle is, you know, everything's farther apart and you're squeezing it back together. And eventually you get this hot, dense state where physics starts to break down. Um, but where I want your mind to go is... Let's take an infinite volume and squeeze it down so it's really, you know, this intense hot plasma. Is that intense hot plasma still infinite? That's the hardest question I've ever been asked. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is where I'm going with this is, is you can't really squeeze an infinite volume into a finite point, right? Sure, yeah. Unless, you know, and this is going like we're inside the universe and not looking out. So I think this is when most people do think of the Big Bang. They think, oh, at this point and exploded into this empty space. It's like, well, that doesn't quite work because that would be like observing our universe from outside the universe. And that's not, we're inside the universe. So if you squeeze the whole universe down into a really compact space, it's really hot, dense, but still infinite. There's no point. It's just everything. Then, you know, physics starts to break down. Who knows really what happened right then? But uh, that that's the way to kind of think about it is it wasn't our universe originating from a single point. It was our universe originating from some sort of um, unknown, you know, anomaly mm -hmm. that was the universe. Yeah. Yeah. I got to be honest. I don't understand it anymore now. All right. That was, yeah, you thought you crazy. grasped the Big Bang and I just crazy. ruined it. Sorry. Now I just don't believe in it at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Back to 6,000 years. So if you were on the Game of Thrones, do you agree that you'd likely be Daenerys? Do you know why they call me Giant's Bane? <laughs> you do look like that guy, man. You really do. I was trying to give you a hard time, but you really do. Oh, my God. I yeah. love him. He's great. Yeah. Tormund, yeah. Does that I have anything to that. do with the hair? Like, do you just see that guy and you're like, man, that's me? No, he's me. Oh, really? <laughs> that's what I think. Yeah. Stole my character. <laughs> yeah. He, you really do look like Now that you said it, I'm like, holy shit, this is yeah. that guy, man. Like, I feel like. Like spending time in cold places? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We really should just switch entirely. To talk I'm not about sure I have the same affinity for tall women, but yeah. Oh no, no. <laughs> not a pose per se, but yeah. I almost spit my beer. Yeah, <laughs> spit tight right into the mic. Guard. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, I don't know, man. That last episode, I feel like got boring though. Are we worried about spoilers on this show? I don't know. I mean, we don't need to talk about the details, but uh, it got boring. Yeah. Yeah, but more set up. I don't do know. Do they call you Giants Bane? Like you in Antarctica? That was my favorite moment of that. Oh, man. Uh, no. No. What a, uh, What do they call you in Antarctica? <sighs> what's your what's your nickname? Well, I know you've got a nickname. My handle has been going by Dr. Nick. Uh, I, ha I have people just call me Thor. Um, I do appreciate the people. I think at the, I go to a climbing gym and they're like, that. oh, that Viking looking guy. Yeah. All these things are things I encourage. I, I enjoy that. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> I encourage. Yeah, I'd be. Yeah, nice. that's why I carry around an axe at the gym, just you know, just to make sure that people get the impression. The that's got to be rough climbing, though. I'd imagine, like, if you were hanging backwards off a wall, just the weight of your hair alone, like that would stretch the neck. Man. Well, yeah, no, it, it, I'm all for added challenge, but it's, yeah, it's yeah. worth it for the is image. It, yeah, is it prehensile? Like, can you climb with it? <laughs> oh, man, I wish. I <laughs> wish. Yeah, I would love ah, to see a geez. photo of that. That'd be amazing. If only. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got you've got the tools, right? You've got NASA's budget. <laughs> <laughs> I got the NASA's budget for when they're cheaper projects. I hope no one at NASA hears this. You're losing your funding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are we paying this guy for? Oh, man. <laughs> So anyway, I kind of derailed that talking about Game of Thrones, but um, I'm glad derailed I derailed. What did we have a no actually, line going? I mean, you I were know. like you were like rambling about that picture <laughs> for a while, and then you know. But no, truthfully, I still. Uh, so I have I have more questions about the Big ah. Bang because I have um, so many people get offended when um, you know when people give their ideas on how the universe started. I will say I have I have no clue. I, I haven't heard anything to me that you know, makes neither, sense. Neither do I. Yeah. Okay. I but, was kind of hoping you. Would. Yeah. Well, this is awkward. You All came right. to the right place. <laughs> you came to the right place. Um. Anyway, so it started 14 billion years ago. We know that much, right? Yeah, roughly, roughly 14 billion, give or take. Yeah, you know, give or take. Yeah. Something. Okay. But what is the idea for most people right now, like in the science community and your community, right at the upper level of what where did it come from before that what happened right before that moment is there anything this is like the i i love going here because it is it is fun it's great fun to think about and a lot of a lot of people i do know love to think about that but i also always feel like this is when we cross into this interesting you know, like a twilight zone or something yeah. uh between physics and philosophy right exactly for sure uh, <laughs> you know and this is the the frank you know the 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 matter of it is, right, once you get down to kind of the Big Bang, you get the energy swells where quantum mechanics and gravitational or general, general relativity are overlapping. Uh, those two theories don't agree. So as a physicist, I got to say, well, we have no idea. Physics, as we know it, breaks down. It's yeah. an anomaly. We don't get it. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of theories as to what could be happening there. Um if you but, were at Vegas, though, and this had to is, bet, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? I don't know. I always say my favorite one is like, you know, you have like multiple universes in some higher dimensional space and the Big Bang formed when two like collided. Oh, God. That was kind of Not fun. That. I was like, oh, that again. we just bumped up against each other and then uh, you have a universe. <laughs> Tony, what is it? <laughs> oh, man. What is it, I don't, I, Give us okay, the answer. Okay, so what he's saying is that, they, you know, the going back to this before the Big Bang, is and he starts invoking quantum mechanics, which of course is a you know is where the le the level at which all of this is working, and then going from that to the cosmic landscape. Well, basically everything happened, and so of course we've got a universe where ours happened, and because it's an infinite number of things. If you live in a multiverse where every possible thing happened all the time, to me that's a non-answer. That's that's no more satisfying than than invoking a deity or. Just saying, uh, you know, everything did it. You know, it's not a very, you know, satisfying discussion to have. Well, everything. For, for listeners, that would be great if the question were, "What is it not, Tony?" <laughs> <laughs> he, Tony, does not like the multiverse. Not well, bumping in universes, bumping into off, each other. What is it? <laughs> Well, I don't think science is going to answer that question. I think that it's it's perfectly appropriate to say that 
this is not a scientific question. What caused the Big Bang or what happened before the Big Bang isn't isn't a scientific question that can be answered by science. It will. Would you agree that people are holding on to the the big bounce being the scientific or a scientific explanation for that? A big bounce? You mean the the universe contracted and then bounced off? Multiverse? No, the same universe. Yeah, same universe. Kind of eternally bouncing. Right. Not. Yeah. Not more than one. Just one universe now and eternally bouncing. I've never really heard an explanation that felt like, yeah, that makes sense because you know, on I'm not a religious person, but you know, I I would say that. You know, the explanations I've heard from religions have made just as much sense to me as anything else, because it all to me sounds like, wow, that would take a lot of things happening to make that a reality. Right. And um, I just see that no matter what you say, whether it's like, oh, this was created or this was the bounce of multiverses or whatever it is, it's like, okay, but what's what came up with like the creator? Where did the creator start or where did those things that bounced? start like what the hell started it right and what it what does it start and from? whatever it is how does something start from nothing it has to have in within its own cause a reason for its existence it's called necessary existence so whatever it was it needed to have embedded in it the reason for its existence in other words the universe could not have come into being without it and we don't know what that is yet right now the universe is contingent it didn't have to be but it is so whatever caused it had to be necessary, which means that embedded within its own cause or within its own uh, effect is is the cause of it. And that's a hard thing to get around. That is a hard thing to think about, but it's it's called necessary. You've got to have it without which nothing else follows. And I don't think that's as 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 Nick has said a couple of times, the laws of physics break down at certain points. And the minute you say that science has nothing more to say. Because science just broke down. Well, the funny there. thing is, though, Tony. Yeah, and it, <laughs> but it makes you wonder, though. Like, if science has nothing to say, is there anything else to say really on the topic? Because you know, when you go to non-evidence-based, uh, you know, system to try to understand all this stuff, I think humans just have a huge problem uh, with a question that honestly you may never get an answer to. Right. I mean, and, and that's the real trouble with studying this kind of stuff is like, we have to accept like, yeah, you, you we, we may never know, you know, humanity may last a million years, we may never, ever know. But we don't like that. You know, I think our human nature, we just we despise that there's got to be an explanation. Well, I think I think there is one, but it's not a scientific explanation. And it can never be a scientific explanation because of what we just talked about. So whatever it is, that if you, you do need to accept on some level, and it can't be verifiable, falsifiable, full of evidence, because science would have found it if that were the case, then we need to accept that this is something outside the realm of science that caused it. It's just that simple. Because when, and I think that things like this Big Bang, the Big Bang singularity, and all black holes in the universe are a real problem for science. Because why, when you have things within your universe, that science is doing a great job explaining. I mean, there's no, nobody's denying how great a job science has done in describing nature. But where it fails, it fails spectacularly, and it fails in quite a few places, and most notably in singularities. So this is tough. And I can tell you, so, but, but I, scientists did not like the idea that the universe was expanding. Nobody liked it. And Nick, you maybe you can confirm this. Einstein certainly didn't like it. They liked a an infinite and an always existing universe. But the fact that it was expanding meant that you could do what Dr. Nick said and run the clock back. And now you've got a beginning. And oh my God, now you've got this problem. 
what started everything. And it's not a question that science is, is as I think, equipped to answer. Um, it does a beautiful job right up to the first nanosecond of the Big Bang. But before that and needless to say that we'll we'll keep trying to answer it i do think we'll we'll at least get to as far as resolving the the quantum uh general relativity discrepancy i hope uh, you know mm-hmm. that's kind of <laughs> that, yeah well, that'll drive thing. physics for a while anyway so i think we'll get past that but you know that's still the base question of where did uh, the universe pop out of uh, that, that's going to stick around for a while? So you think, well, it doesn't make much sense. I mean, we wouldn't have gotten anywhere if you just said, well, science is not equipped to answer this question yet. So science has no, 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 place no you misunderstand me. It. We I'm wouldn't not, have much. I'm not done. saying don't bother trying to answer. I'm just saying that whenever there is a point beyond which science cannot answer a question, something big needs to happen in science if it's going to try. And if you think about, I mean, we're, if you think about it, science we got Nick here right now. It's three o'clock, man. We can have this answered by what? Four thirty? <laughs> what? Uh, how much money are you putting behind that? <laughs> we might need a few more growlers. <laughs> Look, are you a um, are you a swab? You're a dove guy, aren't you? you use dove. <laughs> what do you use? I, I'm a dove guy, but how did you, know, you know, I just like it because they have the this thing. <laughs> they have this thing where so I cut my own hair with dog shears. You know, that's why my beard and my hair are the same I, length. I never would have guessed. Yeah. So I just run, you know, dog shears across my beard. I just do this circle thing around my head, you know, yeah. and I, I just hit it all at once. And it, it's it's perfect. Like you see how amazing my hair is. Oh, right? beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was kind of wondering, like, what do you use? Because your hair looks pretty good like mine. And I just wanted to know, like, are we using the same thing? <laughs> Wait, dog shears or conditioner? But uh, what what is what is conditioner? Ah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I'm a minimalist, man. So like bar soap? Is that like dove bar, bar soap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Hans is a little bit coarse. Like what's it, steel wool? Is it? <laughs> All right. I need- it's funny. Someone actually gifted me uh, beard oil. And I've been gifted beard oil. A Wait, few you don't times use that already? Well, I don't know if they're trying to tell me something or whatnot, but on, on it, stuff. it said, uh, what was it like uh, it, uh, the man's beard oil or like manliness or something? And I was just yeah. like, man, I, I didn't realize it wasn't a man this whole time. We got to put some oil in this thing, apparently. A beard is for scrubbing rust off of things <laughs> when you have nothing else. I don't really understand the point, <laughs> but you know. I think, look, man, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, everybody else is trying to catch up. Don't don't slow down. So was this the deepest episode of Space Junk we've ever accomplished? Uh, you'd be surprised. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> I honestly don't know what just happened. This, <laughs> where, where did we get to this point from? Uh, okay, so... Hey man. So you got your, you got your uh, everybody got their products sorted out now. Everybody knows what they're what they look. Use. Look, we're the only ones drinking, Tony. We we got three growlers yeah. and two infrareds oh, sitting man. here on the table, am, and um, you know, I am missing out for sure. Okay, <laughs> you're over there talking about how science can't answer questions when that's the only thing it does. Well, maybe <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe that's getting back to it. Is that the the you know point of the beginning of the universe was to make some beer. Yeah, maybe oh, this is there's a purpose giant so now, brewery there's a purpose experience. now wow okay <laughs> it's a purpose like, that purpose was hops yeah yeah okay <laughs> took, took a large mechanism to get it but uh, i think it's worth yeah the wow okay yeah. yeah when when the staff uh I, I you know we talked about this earlier but when the staff 
heard that you were coming in today. Like, so do we need to turn the thermostat down to like negative 40 to make this guy comfortable in the podcast? You think he's okay? Like, is he going to burn up in there? I am sweating like yeah. nothing. Else. <laughs> <laughs> it's pouring so down my back. <laughs> You're not kidding either, are you? (laughs) (laughs) This cold beer is helping, but it is quite hot in here. (laughs) Well, it doesn't help that our third mic isn't working, so I've literally got... That's true. We're all cozying around one corner of us. Two inches from me, man. That explains that explains anyway, the, that, how, the how's dove it in comment. Florida? Like, that explains the dove comment. You guys are like, really, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, man, I'm six you, inches from this guy's locks. Dude, you smell <laughs> nice. Does your you smell does your really, beard smell different? <laughs> yeah, man, you smell really good. <laughs> I just gotta say, man, yeah. is, is that dove? Because that smells like dove to me. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, little does he know, you know, it's just caustic cleaner from the brewery. I just covered it in yeast and industrial cleaners all day. Yeah. No wonder you need the beard oil. Oh, you get man. All sorts of split ends right. up in that. Things fall apart quick, yeah. you know. They really do. Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk more about Antarctica. Because right. I don't know many people that spend time there. All right. Um, how do you, so when you're going to Antarctica, how do you get there? Like, what, what does that trip look like? Uh, a lot of air miles, no. mm-hmm. but you don't get credit for all of them, which I've always thought the National Guard should really have a mileage account. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, have you talked to them about it? Yeah, really? <laughs> Come on. Uh, no, so let's see here. How I got there last time, I flew, well, San Diego, I mean, lovely San Diego place, and being close to the airport is nice, but for anything international, you do that annoying little hop to LAX. Mm-hmm. Uh, so start out with that. Um my air travels booked through the government. Uh, so, oh, this is getting into all sorts of weird stuff, right? NASA runs the balloon program, but the bases down there are run by the National Science Foundation, okay. NSF. So you book through them. But, of course, they don't actually do the booking. They hire a contractor to the booking. So you go through some agent there. Wow. Um, in order to get on that flight in the first place, uh, they have medical checks. That's always kind of fun, too, because I get to go to, like, my doctor and dentist with this weird list of tests. They're like what yeah uh haven't done that one in a while they're usually kind of excited about it it's like oh i haven't had to prescribe that test in ages yeah. that's kind of interesting um so yeah you got to be real healthy to go down there otherwise they just don't want to bother so uh you do all that you get your sign offs uh then you get permission to fly down there uh yeah uh san diego lax lax to auckland new zealand auckland new zealand to christchurch new zealand Uh, at which point you're at the Antarctic Center down there. That's the main conduit for uh, U.S. bases, I should say. And most uh, most Antarctic travel goes through Christchurch, New Zealand. Uh, There's also obviously some Antarctic travel through uh, Chile and Argentina as well on the other side of the continent. Sure. Um, And then uh, you hang out in Christchurch for a few days. Beautiful place. You're there during the summer. Uh, gorgeous kind of garden area you can run around. Everyone tries to soak up as much green and vibrancy and life as they can before they go to the dead continent. Mm -hmm. Um, So so you don't see any of the life. You don't see the penguins or anything else. No, you do. Oh, you do? Yeah. Um, So we'll get there. Hold on. Hold on. on. I haven't got there yet. Well, it's just exciting, (laughs) man. You know, we're talking about penguins right now. Uh, So let's see. Then what? Um, Then you have the mandatory day at the CDC, the Clothing Distribution Center. Mm. Um, so you can BYO, but they provide you with basically you're required to take down their bare minimum of Antarctic appropriate gear. So th- this was true, I think, for a while is the the Canada Goose company that you see a lot of, you know, uh, what now it's like a sorority girl standard 
uh, uniform with a little logo on the side. You know what I'm talking about? This you wouldn't. We're in San Diego. Quick, man. We're, we're in this San Diego. Anyway, it's a fantastic brand okay. in uh, <laughs> Canada that provides, I, think, I guess, goose down jackets. They're oh, okay. Really warm, really comfy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To go down there, you got to get your big red. So it's this bright red, just massive uh, jacket that they don't sell in stores, weirdly, um, maybe because of the giant reflector on the back. But uh, <laughs> yeah. very cozy. Anyway, and some other gear. You gotta pack that all up, get it sized out, whatever else. Uh, then you then you wait for a flight. Uh, I waited two or three days in Christchurch to get my flight, um, and this is probably the worst. Maybe this is why they don't give uh, mileage on the national uh, the the air air national guard. Um, I think it's them. Uh, they or air force one. Yeah, I always get gray zone between the two. But uh, flying down there, we flew down on a C seventeen. So that's a jet propelled craft with wheels. Um, they have an ice runway down there that when it's hard enough, you can land with wheeled craft. When it gets too soft, you have to switch to uh, C-130s, Hercules. With uh, They have both wheels and skids, so they can land in Antarctica, then back in New Zealand. Um, and then you get it prepped up for, you know, you thought economy was bad. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know i should say so it's always kind of hit or miss you never know when you're going down what your flight's going to be like so you show up and you wait you, there's a lot of waiting because you gotta have the weather just perfect right on both ends uh and then you pile into the aircraft and we got let's see we were on jump seats along the side the seats are like canvas so they're not particularly comfortable uh we were lucky because there wasn't a ton of us in there so probably like 40 people heading down on our flight but here's one of the more surreal experiences I ever got. I was in a plane flying to Antarctica, and I took a nap. And he guesses where I took the nap. No, I, I, you, because you're in there with whatever cargo they're sending down. So I was in a plane to Antarctica taking a nap under a helicopter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they were flying a helicopter down there inside the plane. And there's a lot of space underneath it. So it was, it was a good spot. Yeah. Um, they're incredibly loud. So you bring uh, what I you do earplugs and then you put headphones on. And then you crank the volume all the way up in your headphones, max them out. Uh, and that kind of drowns out the jet noise. So, you know, I mean, military people understand that for us uh, civilians, it's a novel experience. Right. Um, yeah. Then you get down there, you land on the ice, you uh, roll out of the aircraft, kind of stumbling. Uh, and it's weird because you get there and it's bright. It's so bright. Sun's up and you're surrounded by ice and it's bright and it's 1 a.m. And you're really confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then you get a bus. The bus takes you into town. And by bus, I mean this weird looking thing with giant wheels. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes you into That's town. Terra bus, right? Terra Ivan the Terra yes. bus is the classic. Everyone loves that. Even though he's kind of slow, he's got the most character. Uh, or you go on the crest a little bit faster, but weird looking, but you know, who knows? Uh, they're all good ones. Uh, and then you get into town. Uh, we did some brief orientation, which was basically like, oh, you're here late. Don't break anything. Here's your room key. Uh, mm -hmm. you hope you don't have a roommate because they're dorms and, uh, you have at least one roommate often. I did have a roommate. Uh, he was on the same flight as me, though, and I got to the room first, so I got the best pick of the bed mm. by the window, which was exciting. Um, anyway, so little things like that. Uh, then on the way out, like I said, that at that point, it was midsummer. Ice has melted up a bit. They're using Hercules aircraft, so you throw out on... And that, that's the thing, right? Those uh, C-17s get down there in six or seven hours, uh, but like the... 
or five or six hours, I think the the LC one thirties they get the the Hercules craft propeller propeller planes even louder, and they take more like eight or nine hours. It is a long flight to get back. Uh, and why I was saying it was one of the worst flights is because if the weather changes mid-flight, they have a turnaround point. If the weather doesn't look good, uh, you'll boomerang. And that's boomerang means you're on a really noisy military aircraft uh, for six to eight hours, and you uh, get off at the same place you started. Wow. And so I got lucky. Both both ways, I only got delayed a day or two, so it took me a couple days of waiting, and both my flights went straight through. No nice. problem. Yeah. I had a friend who was heading actually down to uh, South Pole Telescope. Uh, this is a shout out to Sasha. Uh, I, <laughs> I'd be glad I wasn't on your flight schedule uh, because I think they got boomerang three times. Oh, so she oh, spent a total of like 30 hours on aircraft oh, and got nowhere. Nice. <laughs> nice. And this is just to get to McMurdo, right? Then you get to McMurdo. If you're going to pull, you hang out in McMurdo for a few days waiting again for another weather window. And then they get on another flight that's like six to eight hours going wow. down to the South Pole. It's a, it's, it's a long journey. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like it. Load up your podcast. There you go. Yeah. Well, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So let me ask you this, um, because our listeners are amateur astronomers mostly. You know, we have a few professional astronomers and things we that uh, that listen in, but mostly it's amateurs that just yeah. uh, are just as addicted as we are to the night sky and taking yeah. pictures of it, that sort of thing. Are you an amateur astronomer? I am. I actually bought a telescope from you guys. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, because I do outreach. I like doing, you know, this is kind of the weird thing, right? This is uh, most, you know, astrophysicists in my realm or physicists uh, couldn't find a damn thing in the night sky. Mm -hmm. uh, so I actually can. I'm not great at it, but I'm not bad at it. Either. What kind of telescope are you using? Uh, I got a Celestron, like, a, what is it, a five-inch reflector? Oh, I cool, which man. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I take it out every few months. I, I need to get better at that. But the whole idea that I've been doing for years is like... Uh, so I do something a little more unique with it. I like uh, public astronomy outreach, sidewalk astronomy. Uh, so I actually make it so I can pack the whole thing into a backpack and bike it. So I bike a telescope around the town and set it up wherever I feel like. A lot of times I just throw it in my car, too, if we're going farther. But yeah, right. that's the point. So you throw that five-inch reflector in a backpack. Yep. Wow, that's it's a awesome. heavy backpack. Yeah. And you do. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And you do outreach that way. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. That's got to be a hell of an outreach experience for people. It's like they come up thinking, oh, here's a five-inch telescope. And then you're the guy that's yeah. like, oh, let me tell you about oh, they the get nice guy. They get an earful. I oh, bet. man. I bet. <laughs> yeah. Blindsided. <laughs> yeah. So if you uh, if you happen to be out there in where, – where are you doing this? I live in Hillcrest, so I'll be, I'll be biking around there. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's uh, that's almost worth the trip to get that uh, that kind of outreach experience. Oh, but I always bring it to this is uh, another San Diego event, which is fantastic. Uh, hashtag two scientists. You, well, you know that you have you know Hans has people over his brewery every time the mm -hmm. Fleet Center runs that program. But it's two scientists walk into a bar. Right. Uh, every time I walk into a bar, I walk in with my telescope. I think this is one of my more hilarious accomplishments. Is I actually did observing from inside Ballast Point in Little Italy. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how does that work? I was looking out the window. The reflections oh. were a nightmare, but I still got the moon and like a planet or something. Nice. <laughs> and people were walking up and looking at it and like, oh, weird. I'm in a bar and I'm looking at like something through a telescope. I never looked through a telescope before. So it worked out great. And I got to have my beer. So, yeah. Well, it's funny you say that about the professional astronomers because a lot of them don't end up knowing the night sky because you don't have to to do the job. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Right. At all. But um, it's got to be. 
still ingrained somewhere because that's what got you into it, right? It had to be. Well, so, but there's different paths to get in. And I did get into it that way. The The way I fell in love with astronomy was I grew up in a rural area of uh, Washington State. Okay. Uh, because I lived on the East Coast. I now have to clarify that every time. But yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. you can't just say Washington. Anyway, yeah. uh, so uh, we lived by a lake. We had a great view of the night sky if it wasn't raining, which was occasionally. Um, and... <clears throat> And, you know, my parents got me a telescope uh, when I was pretty young, I don't know, uh, junior high school, middle school, which was great on them. You know, thanks, parents, for getting, you know, encouraging mm-hmm. that habit. Encourage definitely parents to get out there if your kids are interested in science. You know, buy some cheap stuff at Costco and they'll have a good time with it. Um, and and so I fell into it that way. Uh, research, I did. I remember doing a research project on Voyager when I was in, in school. Um you know, stuff like that. I was really into it. I've been into it forever. I I always tell a story. My sister's always weirded out by this because she was like, all right, you're really into astronomy right now, but there's no way you're going to make a career out of it. They're not going to pay you to do that. Like you're going to, you're going to change into something else, you know, sooner or later, right? Nobody sticks with a career from middle school. Mm-hmm. And it's true. Nobody does. I'm an anomaly. That's, that's unusual. Don't expect to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Question to Hans. Did you imagine you, you'd be a brewer? <laughs> from middle school. He was like, man, school. I'm going to make the best beer. <laughs> oh, that is my future. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I, gosh, I can't even really recall. Um, I know in grade school, I was dead set on being a geologist. Actually, you know, those two fields are pretty close together. Yeah, I was uh, because in college, I was, I was jealous of my geology friends because you know, astronomy, unfortunately, at this point, is mostly remote and at night, right? So you stay up all night observing whatever else you get the data, then you got to process the data. Geologists, they're like, well, we look at rocks at night, but it's dark, so we drink beer. <laughs> Anyway, that's the envy out to the geology friends out there. I think it's funny the thought that uh, you knew from an early age, man. You knew from elementary, that taste of that first beer in elementary (laughs) school, and you knew what you were doing. (laughs) So early inspiration can come in many ways. Um, But yeah, getting back to it, um, a lot of of my colleagues fell into this, uh, not from an astronomy background, but from a physics background. And that's just because a lot of the biggest and most exciting, most interesting questions in physics, as we touched on earlier, are astrophysical in nature. And so you have a lot of people that are just really interested in physics and they're like, well, this is a really cool problem and a really cool way to go about you know, building an experiment to test that problem. And so then you get from that side, not that they're unaware of astronomy, but as far as going out in the night sky and figuring things out, they're pretty disconnected. Tony, is that, uh, that, that's still, well, no, you got into it because of your interest in astronomy. It wasn't just the physics, but I mean, I can see that path, right? Is that right, Tony? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I started from just wanting to do anything that had to do with space, whether it was starting out being an astronaut or just, you know, looking through telescopes and then eventually programming computers to do astronomy. Is that why you're in Florida hoping to sneak into the Uh, I do. I sneak in, uh, often. Yes. I, I ride on, I ride underneath an underneath an alligator and I'm in, man every night so we we just got invited to houston uh tony and i to um go visit with an astronaut we went to dinner with don pettit uh the iss astronaut and um yeah we're gonna be going to houston to to see that so we'll be sneaking in there too yeah it's really it's really great yeah we're going to virgin orbit next week too (laughs) pretty wild man pretty wild (laughs) I'm yeah. a little jealous. Yeah, no, that yeah. sounds like a. Well, I said that time. to make you jealous. It works. Yeah, it works. You Damn. can't come in here and talk about all this and think I'm not going to drop some stuff on you. You know, we're doing yeah. cool shit too. Uh, that- <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we don't smell as good as Han, so it's that's the problem. We just uh, wait. Yeah. Can I make that joke? Let's see. Antarctica, you know, Antarctica's cooler, but only half the time. Uh, oh. <laughs> and on the. Oh, oh I'm going to pour a little more beer. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay. Well, I guess we have done all the damage we're going to do on this podcast because it sounds like the uh, beer's flowing on that end. I got to get some beer over here. That's all I got. Hans. Do you have any breweries over here? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 uh, not yet, but Tony, it's after five on the East it's Coast, definitely man. Definitely after like, five. Should I should have been going, but we started at five. <laughs> What's I went going through on? My one little beer, and it's gone now. So I gotta, I gotta go get some more. All right, oh, guys. Man. I gotta send you some. Uh, yeah, some your backup. your podcast doesn't have a tap handle in it. <laughs> it's about to. I. Why doesn't this yeah, one we're actually? We're waiting on Hans. <laughs> right, we're waiting know? on Hans to get us all. We're waiting on Hans. That's your job, Hans. Where are you, man? <laughs> Why do we even hire you? I like that Tony <laughs> says, "All right, the podcast is over. We're gonna we're gonna wrap this up." And Hans just poured another full beer <laughs> to the brim, to the brim. All right, well, just go for it, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, generally, if you if you take craft beer somewhere, it's just you know it's poor form to bring it back. So, oh, is that is that a rule? Is it? It's an unspoken rule in the industry. You know? All right, you all right. A couple growlers, you got to bring back empty growlers. All right, so you did not accomplish your mission. Well, shoot, I guess I'll get back to work. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was gonna say your glass is looking a little low. There. Hey, you did good, man. You drank half a growler there. And, you know, you're the only one drinking that um, <laughs> the lighter one. Yeah, whatever. The non eight percent ABV one. Yeah, the appropriately uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones named beer, White Walker, which is fantastic. Yeah. I can. I've taken on several White Walkers uh, this evening, and my character has not died. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tony, it's falling yeah. apart over here, man. We better. <laughs> we better as let you as wrap we uh, as we expected, a deterioration has started. So, uh, all right, guys. Well, listen. I want to thank you guys so much. I'm about, uh, Nick, it's been great meeting. I wish I could. I hope I get to see you in person sometime. You sound like be an awesome guy to, to drink a beer with, um, as I can hear. So I. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. You know, beer excluded, but come on by our lab. Uh, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to. Anybody. And Hans, it's always good to talk to you again. So it's good to talk to you again, buddy. Uh, thanks for stopping by. And yeah, yeah and on behalf time. of Dustin Gibson, I'm Tony Darnell. I want to thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up. Okay, hold on. Stop it. Stop it. Stand by. We're not done yet. More stuff to follow. What's up, Kevin Bacon? <laughs> five it's six degrees of six is area six degrees yeah. of kevin bacon yeah yeah uh, you, so i hung out with a lot of ds guys up at at upenn oh yeah who'd you hang out with uh the graduate students probably but uh no i don't what, i don't know who the pis were there boo uh, yeah he, he was yeah i think so and um i oh, shit i forgot the guy's name too that i worked with actually well there's mike yeah, they, they, the they, they were they were mike they were microlensing guys i think out there so. yeah yeah yeah. so, so you guys yeah. you guys nerded in the same place man yeah <laughs> <laughs> small world small world <laughs> yeah <laughs> small universe Definitely. small universe small universe big but you know so i didn't get a chance to say when you asked about the infinite universe it is bounded you forgot to say that it was bounded because there are po- there are places beyond which we can't view. So the universe, while it is right. infinite, it is un. There's is- the infinite observable universe, and it appears flat, ergo probably infinite in space, but we don't know that. Whoa, yeah. whoa! This is this is something new to me. So wait, explain. <laughs> you can't you can't say that. <laughs> what do you mean? 
I'm sorry. Was that a bit of a tease? <laughs> well, I just don't. I don't know what you mean. I really don't. Like I haven't. I haven't heard this. So I thought that we, if we can see the uh, CMB, then how is it that we can't see? Like, what is it that we're not seeing? I don't understand. Uh, should I take this, or you want to? Well, I was just uh, my my way of explaining that has to do with the surface, the the topology of the universe. So if the topology of the universe is infinite. It's like walking around a sphere, right? You never stop walking. You never run up against a wall, but it is a bounded surface. It isn't, it doesn't extend infinitely out and everything space and time is within that surface. So you can't get out of it, but it is infinite in extent, but it is bounded. And so when you look at the cosmic microwave background, you are looking at all of the universe within that surface, no matter where you are, you're going to always be looking at the earliest part of time. And, but it is not an infinite, it doesn't just go on forever because, uh, it had a beginning. So there isn't, there's an infinite extent to the universe, but it is bounded. Uh, This is getting into the space time component of it, of there was an origin, that's right, because right, right, with right. space time, that's what's expanding. Not, right. I mean, more real estate is being created all the time. As the universe gets bigger, more universe gets made. Right. Uh, but there is no outside. So b- bounded in the time sense, but not in the not necessarily in the space sense. Bounded in the space and time sense, but you got to take them together. You can't separate them out. They are, they are. There was because there was a beginning. There is a bi- There is a boundary to it that expands right. outward. Right. But beyond that boundary, there's no point. There's nothing science can do to get you there. And you make fun of me, but that's true. You well, can't no, no, get fun of you. you know, no, this, is, <laughs> this is good because cosmology, You know, again, I came from a background that was more galactic, although I've always loved cosmology. So my ability to explain it to in, in kind of more standard terms or just explain it at all, uh, I'm still developing that. Yeah. So it's... It, it's because they're expanding together is what you're saying, right, Tony? Like as time is expanding, so is space. It, it, yes. And it's expanding by making more of it. This stuff is coming out of nothing. The universe is not just getting bigger, but it's accelerating as it does. So, so something is forcing it out and that, and it's right now, I guess the, the I, when I was talking to Sean Carroll, he said the best way to view it is like vacuum energy. There is energy in nothing. And so when you get more nothing, you do get more energy and that forces the universe apart. And so more space and more time are being created every single second. And that's what's pushing outward. And that's why I don't think this big bounce thing is going to happen because well, if, right. the uni- if the universe were not accelerating, as it expands, I mean, you know this, Nick, they were so sure they were going to find that the universe was decelerating when they measured this, that they actually called it measuring the deceleration of the universe. Not only did they not find that, (laughs) they, you know, that the universe was slowing down. They found that it was speeding up. If the universe had been slowing down, then maybe a big crunch will occur. But instead of what we're going to have is just this big, evaporation this the heat death of the universe exactly but so this this does get back into explain the infinite part which is so you're saying bounded because there was this beginning point big bang but how i generally describe it is you know that the universe is flat so the idea is that if you travel in any direction uh in space you'll never hit a boundary 
in in that sense. Like if you start right. traveling now, right? And that's the infinite extent of the universe. That's that's, that's right. that infinite side, right? As opposed to which I do always, I have always enjoyed this concept, which is hard to wrap your mind around. But I, I love the the idea of it. Is if you had curvature, you could have a three dimensional sphere like object where if you traveled straight into space, you'd eventually get back to where you started. But that is not what yes. we see. That's correct. Yeah, and and it's funny because the way they found that out was by actually measuring large triangles in space. If uh, if the if space time was curved, the triangles wouldn't all add up to 180 degrees. Instead, they would add up to some different number. But they what do. triangles are you talking about? Any triangle, a Little triangle. Tri you just like measure the distance on a side to between like three objects, right? Okay. And, and if you have to do it really big over very large scales, yeah, very big. And if they do not add up to 180 degrees, the three angles of whatever triangle you make, oh yeah, then you don't sense. have yeah. a flat surface. You have something else. If it's less than 180 degrees, I think it's concave. But it's More weird because all of us are like spreading a triangle on a globe or something to be like, oh mm -hmm. yeah, okay. But then this is in three dimensions, and mm -hmm. it's our minds aren't good for that. Especially after three beers. <laughs> you've, only had th you've only had three? That's I've light. had three that's, of the lighter that, one. I'm, that I've been light. behaving myself. These guys are way, right, ahead, way ahead of me. Although I probably should have tried some of that. Was it Hopsquatch? Yeah, Hopsquatch. Uh, Hopsquatch. Yeah, real, <laughs> that's a great real happy name. with that one. So, Tony, the thing, and we're off the podcast so I can say this, the thing that really fucks I'm recording, me up, dude. Uh, oh, really. it, um, well, shit. about the idea of, of the Big Bang and it coming from this this you know singularity and whatnot is of course the next question of well what put that there how did that get there and expand and start so I just I like to me that says right there if there was a Big Bang and something that caused this started this it was there the, right away that's not finite. That implies the existence of something before the Big Bang in Except order to what, what start is, the Big Bang. What is a singularity? A singularity right. is something with zero volume and infinite density. Already something right. that we can't really wrap our minds around. Yeah, impossible. But, so by, from infinity what we is already built into what this thing is. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is why science had a, has a real problem with singularities. And I keep saying this, they cannot describe what these are all about and how they came about. They can describe what happened. The just femtoseconds after the big bang occurred. Right. Right. But and they I can't tell you anything about why it's. Well, I guess, but, I guess the part that I don't get then is if science can't explain that part and I get it, that's, that's definitely, I mean, that's what's next, right? That's what yeah. physics is going to be about for the next thousand years. Um, to me, that doesn't just drop the requirement for evidence to have an answer. Of course you not. Know, but but I've... look at but look at what's happened since this whole thing started. The best we can do, okay, is use mathematics to try and reconcile quantum mechanics and the uh, 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 general relativity. Right. And what have we done since quantum mechanics came out, and even worse, since what has happened since we found out the universe was accelerating as it expands? We have come up with beautiful mathematics that describe string theory and infinite universes. This is where we're going with this. And this, to me, this is where science is going with this. And to me, this is not an advance. This is a, this is a mathematical sleight of hand that may look great, but then you go, well, it's really just too bad we're never, ever, ever going to be able to see any of this stuff. But the mathematics is beautiful. I could describe 
uh, multiverses and big crunches and, and, you know, infinite dimensions all day long. And it's possible yeah. that all this can happen. But the minute you collapse the wave function, it you get one possibility. And so my point is that science is not advancing in a direction that leads to answerable, verifiable results. It's advancing into this nonsense of a cosmic landscape where everything happened. And to me, I'm a scientist or I'm a science person. That's less satisfying to me than saying God did it. (laughs) I'm sorry. But you you may as well say God did it if you're going to tell me, well, everything happened. It's well, not right, an but, the, but this is starting, you know, you got to kind of like, I feel like this is history of science, right? You you have to start with a bunch of theories that may not be verifiable at our moment in time um, with the goal that will get observables. And I agree that theories without observables are only so limited, but sometimes it does take a while for the observable realm to catch I know, up with it. but there's non-observable like the Higgs boson wasn't observable when he first came up with it. And then there's really never, ever in a million years going to be able to observe it because these lengths, these strings in string theory are less than the Planck length long. No, I know. For and that is a string hard theory. limit. You're never But to that. say there's never any way to observe some you know, other universe if it were a multiverse. And I agree. It seems like that... In our current understanding, that doesn't seem likely or possible at all. Like it would be impossible. So then the laws of physics as we know them that describe our current universe have to be expanded to be able to describe other universes. Yeah, something is lacking. I think that's fair to say. And that's called Um, positivism. It doesn't invalidate the whole thing, though. Yes, and you guys think that because this is called positivism, because we don't know now doesn't mean we'll never know. And okay, I mean, there's no response to that other than, well, the direction we're going now sure doesn't look very encouraging with this string yeah. theory and cosmic landscape. But, and but I feel like I have to be there for job security. <laughs> <laughs> there are way more things that you could be looking at I right just, now. You really should fund me because yes. we're, gonna, we're right on the verge of figuring this out. <laughs> but I'm really there, but you know what? I need more observations. I need more data. I'm almost there. I've well, got I mean, your that's, answer. It's kind of where inflation's been at for a while. But it really is. Tony. Tony, I understand, and it's very convincing what you're saying. But at the same time, I mean, wasn't it true that many, many of the things that we understand now and measure now at one time would have looked like, why even try? There's no way in a million years that we're going to know any of this or be able to measure any of it, like invisible radio waves or any of that. Or Higgs bosons. Professor Higgs was laughed at in the 60s. So, I mean, doesn't it make sense that. that if it's an idea... It should be pursued. And so, like, I understand what you're saying. A lot of this just seems like nonsense now, but shouldn't it all be pursued and disproven? Of course. I would never say don't pursue uh, a a line of thought or an idea. Um, But you need to get real about what our current laws of physics are capable of and what they can and what they can't answer. And it is entirely possible, and this is something I've learned in my later years, it is entirely possible that there are things in our universe that science will never be able to answer. Does that mean we shouldn't try? Of course not. We should always try. I, I always think... Oh, go ahead. That's it. That's all I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say that, that I always feel like SETI is a good example of this. Mm. It's talking about long odds, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah. But, hey, if they can find funding, great. Uh, high risk, but humongous reward if it pays off. And if in the meantime, they fund a bunch of radio telescopes around the world, well, good. Yeah, where's the downside of yeah. that? Yeah, so... True. You know, you can argue that maybe it would be better spent on other things, but would they get the same level of funding if it were for other things that are less, uh, you know, high reward, I guess. So. 
I really need to be there, man. I feel like I'm I'm missing out on. Well, on some, what are you doing in Florida? Come on yeah, over. I know, I know. I'm miss, I'm missing out. <laughs> well, you, you don't just fly out here weekly for the podcast. Uh, uh, I should. I should. Well, yeah. I need to get that on the. Talk about a budget. We need to get that on the budget there. That's hey, man. Sure. If you ever, uh, if you ever agree to come on and do the podcast, where we're just going to get wasted and answer questions, yeah, I will fly accepted. Tony. I will fly Tony here. All right, and let's he will do it. every let's time. Do it. Every time either of us drink, Tony has to drink. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> and if everybody is in agreement, man. We will get this done. That's right. And then, and then you'll get all kinds of really cool questions, like uh, you know, what? Yeah, yeah. You'll be getting like, what's the you know what's the tallest mountain in the Earth before Everest was discovered? You know, you're gonna get shit like that. So yeah, just keep us yeah. drinking. Uh, yeah, I like yeah. more philosophical ones. Like, which one's your favorite child? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like wrong drink <laughs> yeah you there is no right answer drink <laughs> yes well and if none of us know we all drink right oh man oh man <laughs> so i think one thing that is going to make the big difference is um space-borne uh observing platforms across all wavelengths because We've looked at, I mean, think about every spaceborne telescope, whether it was visible spectrum or not, that's been launched and the amount of discovery that's happened therein, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, and, but, and just like he's saying with the balloons, you got to get out of our atmosphere to be able to see a whole new, um, you know, level of observable data. And we've an only just begun that. Not an optical, though. Right. I mean, with adaptive optics, it's not as necessary. Now you can get better yeah. resolutions from optics, the ground. Absolutely. Optical and radio. And I mean, well, yes, until we get good at launching 10 meter dishes. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so the, you know, technically, it's always better in space. Yeah. But, but you, can, you can kiss all you can kiss yeah. all those space telescopes goodbye if JWST screws the pooch because it's mm. going to die with it. They will never build another one after that. I promise. So, so I've had this line for years. And maybe this is a good idea for OPT. But I've said, if you really wanted a good investment strategy right now, you start investing in uh, robotics that would be capable of fixing JWST. <laughs> yes, exactly. And there are companies that do that. I've talked to them. They're already thinking ahead. They've got this. They've got yeah. this. Yeah. That, that hot tips. Hot a tips. Big horror story, man. Well, but it's not. not I mean, but it's like. But, but that was the story of Hubble, right? They screwed yeah. up too. They Matt epically screwed up. Yeah. And they fixed it, and, it's, and now everyone's like, oh man, Hubble's the best telescope ever. Right. Today's right. Hubble's yeah. birthday. Yeah, it's uh, 29th. Happy yeah, 29th. Yeah. Today's, today's yeah. Hubble's birthday. Yeah, but right. um, I know, hear it's our... going to go on a bender next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 right. Been a life crisis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the bender was what caused the problem in the first place, wasn't it? <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh our our team was just with um what's his name story uh what's his That's name great. yeah 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 Holy they shit. were just with him in la um a couple what a couple weeks ago yeah and uh, he's the one that flew out there to hubble to fix the day he is the last human to have touched hubble oh that is cool yeah uh, no 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 that was john grunsfeld john, john grunsfeld was the last he went on uh uh, the ninth uh, ser servicing mission for for Hubble in two thousand nine. Wait, but or, I feel I'm like sorry, the two last touch. The There's a guy who last touched it physically with his finger because he took his glove off when NASA wasn't looking. Oh, or there's the guy, the astronaut who oh, actually repaired it. Oh, I don't, I don't know. 
That, you, I don't know any of these people. I'm just chiming in because, like, well, technically, you John can say Grunsfeld it two ways. was the astronaut that did the last repair mission on Hubble, and he had to do all kind of really complicated shit to get the okay. The, the I thing. Story was on the last. No, space story walk. was way. It was like he was like STS the. Wait, I don't know when it was. The ninth. He just made it 2000s. usable at all, right? Because I mean, it, it was like a huge paperweight yeah, floating around out there. That was bad news. Yeah, they they installed a, a package that corrected the uh, spherical aberration on the mirror that Perkin Elmer had put on there. But yeah, that's it was, the big thing about JWST being out at the Lagrange point, though. I mean, yep. it's you know, robots. That, that's man. why you're saying, man, robot service missions. Yep. So. Or we get better at astronauts. I don't know. SpaceX yeah. has gotten for it, right? Yeah. You could always book a Blue Origin launch, but you might be waiting a few decades. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. Yeah, um, but I mean, JWST, if it if it if it screws the pooch, we're all it, there's no more. Uh, w first is already uh, being uh, under a hard time. Trump wants to cancel it already, and uh, he wants to go to the moon and forget W first. Forget these big telescopes. Louvoir may or may not fly. I don't know. Um, I love I love people trying to go to the moon because this, this is I have an interesting connection to that. Because I was an undergrad at uh, Caltech when Bush got elected, and he wanted to go to the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my f- my first <laughs> foray want to go to the moon. <laughs> my first foray into astrophysics experiment, which you know started this whole journey, right? Well, technically, you know, I was I was interested in trying to be like the experimental side of it. I was drawn to it, but okay, my first publication I'm on, yeah, is a lunar base seismology detector. That was basically this guy at JPL. He keyed his whole lab over to proposing moon missions because he was like, "Bush says go to the moon. That's where the money is. Right. We're going to the moon." Right? right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be great if we actually get the funding to do that. There's some fun experiments you yeah. can do there, but yeah, yeah. That was a big thing when uh, when when Pence and Jim Jim Bridenstine, which I'm liking Jim a lot more. <laughs> Um, we don't like his last name, last name online, so we just call him Jim NASA. So <laughs> Jim NASA, I think he's doing a really great job for the position that he's been put in. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things like it's yet another policy speech without a single drop of money you got to it. get there, and yeah. no bucks, no bucks, Rogers. You feel well, feel bad for NASA, man. I mean, they just yeah. they they really can't fucking win. They they're always win they're always set up to fail. It's like, no, we're going to the moon. No, we're going to Mars. Now I want you to do all this impossible shit, and we're not going to give you any more money. So, Space Force. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it needs to be done <laughs> yesterday, right? Right. I mean, I feel so Whatever bad for them. Right? Yeah. yeah. A year ago, it was all Space No, it's, it's rough. And the ballooning program, I can even say, has is, is gotten a little more challenging to get proposals through and that sort of thing. It's, uh, you know, it's a fun program. There's a lot of really good science that we do, but it's it's really challenging to get it done and get the funding for it. Yeah. Well, Nick, is that part of the uh, science directorate, the, the balloon project? Is it under? You're asking which yeah, funnel which, is it under in NASA, right, and I right. don't know, but Space Director it sounds really familiar, so maybe. Yeah, I know um, the name of the program is APRA. Jim, okay, because that would be the same. The Science Director it handles all the 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 non-human spaceflight shit, like you know JWST, yeah, I, I, Hub, Hubble, Chandra, all of that stuff, and uh, and Sophia, I think, would fall under what you guys are oh, doing Sophia. too. So, because they do high altitude stuff as well. Yeah, so. yeah. I I got a job offer from Sophia. Cool. That was so. I was um. I'm I'm like. I think this was the right choice coming to San Diego. Obviously, having a great time here, uh, making good friends with good breweries. Uh, <laughs> but but this was a. I I do kind of in my lifetime as an experimentalist want to hit the big five. 
which is uh, ground-based airplanes, balloons, rockets, and satellites. Oh, wow. Right? Those are all, yeah. all five types of observatories you can have. Yeah. And there aren't many on planes anymore. I think Sophia's pretty much the only Sophia's it, yeah. <laughs> so the, the rocket part is that, I mean, are you observing? Yeah, you're, sounding you're rockets with x-ray observatories usually. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. There's yeah. a few of them out there. That's also not a big program, that but people super do it. Niche. Yeah, that that's like really cool. That's the you know the crazier thing. Like I was saying, in balloon-borne observing in a month, I can get you know years worth, ten years worth of ground-based right. observing. Right. These are guys who are going after you know a <laughs> 30 minute seconds. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it's worth you know years worth of ground-based observing. But so wow. it's mostly X-ray or gamma ray or something. Like higher. So how well, how how stable are those platforms on balloons? By the way, how the hell do you point these things? Oh, that's a that's a great question. A lot of time we spend on that. Um, so what we get is uh, we get down our knees and pray. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> that's step zero. Step okay. zero. Uh, no, we have a lot of pointing sensors. Um, so uh, we our primary pointing is star cameras. That that you know, their telescopes, right? We have our telescope has two telescopes attached to it <laughs> to look at stars to figure out where we're looking in the sky. That's and we have two because one will fail, obviously. Right. Uh, actually, in my 2012 flight, both failed. Uh, um, oh, man. But after six days, so we have six days of amazing data, mm. and then we have another six days of data we gave to the undergrads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so that's that's our primary part. We, we got magnetic sensors on there as well. We got sun sensors because we're up and it was 24 hours of daylight. You can tell where the sun is. So you can get course pointing that way. Uh, there's a bunch of little stuff like that that integrates and it all has a priority list, um, you know, GPS, whatever else. And then actual physical pointing is kind of an interesting physics question of like, you know, a ground-based observatory, you torque off the earth. A satellite, you use gyroscopes. Uh, so balloons are this weird middle ground where you don't have anything to torque off necessarily, and but you also have gravity. <laughs> um, so what we use is, I guess it's like technically a gyroscope on the, what we call azimuth, right? Looking around, uh, we have this, what we call a reaction wheel. Oh, it's yeah. basically just a wheel with a large moment and you spin it up and spin it down and that gets you pointing in azimuth uh and then your platform is just built in such a way that you can torque on the platform to get elevation so point up and down um but then that's still you can saturate your azimuth right if you're you get it spinning too fast you can't spin any faster so you can't point that way so we actually dump angular momentum into the balloon with a third motor Wow. called the pivot so that's the uh, between the connection point between the payload and the balloon there's a motor that torques off the balloon and the bl balloon has just so much surface area because it's the size of a football stadium right uh that it can actually dissipate wow. that in the, the air the balloon is that big it starts out the size of a house or a small building by the time you get the float altitude 150,000 feet it's the size of a football stadium yeah they're they're massive that's why they're expensive because you don't want them to leak and the company wow. is the helium's company. hard to come by too it's not uh not easy yeah well we both through well that you know the the helium to fill it isn't so expensive the funnier part is all our cameras are cryogenic and for ballooning the really the only way to get really cryogenic temperatures is liquid helium mm -hmm. and so there's I um I can I refer you to what I'd call the most hilarious experiment ever. This gets into NASA and NASA funding. Uh, if you're working in NASA, if your project is based actually physically at NASA, 
you can get liquid helium for pretty damn cheap. Uh, so they have an experiment called Piper. Uh, that is actually a CMB experiment. So the, there is this theory that if you go uh, CMB experiment on a balloon, you can do years worth of CMB observing from a balloon. So technically, balloons would have won it a while ago if uh, if they weren't so long between missions. But um, an experiment called Piper um, that is literally a vat of liquid helium. So this is a thousand liters of liquid helium. And, you know, liquid to gas is about an expansion factor of a thousand. So that's a million wow. liters of, you know, standard tempered pressure helium. So it's a lot of, that's a fair chunk of helium they're using. What their telescope consists of is their mirrors are submerged in liquid helium. So they have a mirror submerged in a vat of liquid helium and their detectors also, the detectors are in their own little pressurized container so that they're not, they're surrounded by vacuum rather than liquid helium. There's a little window on it, but the mirrors are in liquid helium. And what they do is they launch on a balloon. They get up to a float altitude, 115,000 feet. Then they pop the top of their vat. And immediately the liquid helium boils off hundreds of liters of liquid helium boiling off all at once. And it cools all of their optics down to one Kelvin. So this is the difference between liquid helium is four Kelvin. Uh, liquid helium with you know no vapor pressure is one Kelvin. Wow. And so they drop their, their mirrors by three Kelvin for that. And I get some better sensitivity. And that's a hard three Kelvin to get too, because when you it's it like is yeah, you got to put more and more energy to get just one degree cooler. So that's a, that's really neat. I didn't know that. It's yeah. neat, but it's only possible because NASA is providing the helium, right. <laughs> <laughs> which is how we work in, in this. Uh, when we were in Antarctica, I think we rolled through what fifteen hundred liters, something like that. Uh, next year, we're going to be going through that same amount, you know, as we commission again. And there's, there's, there's a CMB balloon born telescope that's joining us down there next year. It's called spider. Uh, spider is a big boy. Uh, and that's going to be, uh, they, they use, I don't know, three, four times as much helium as we do. So this is my current joke right now. Next year, if you're looking to buy liquid helium, all of it's going to Antarctica. Like all of it in the world is just going to Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> How big are the sensors that go up on? these telescopes you were using uh you mean the the arrays themselves yeah so currently our standard format is six inch silicon wafers and this has to do actually with the computer industry right if you're looking at computing right now like intel all those companies they they base all their uh, stuff off silicon and the largest you know kind of what we call wafer which is just like a thin silicon sheet that they produce you know mm -hmm. standard is six inch right now mm -hmm. if they built them bigger we'd go bigger but that's the kind of pretty much standard size so we base all of ours off that and we build our detectors on a silicon wafer mm -hmm. um and so i should say each so that's our multiple size and we do hexagonal wafers and stack them hexagonally and the largest arrays right now are seven of those so you'll have a six inch wafer wow. in the middle surrounded by another six inch and so our actual camera is about that big that's a uh, what? That's six, eighteen inches across. Wow! So that's our camera area. But this is also a hilarious thing: is we're really excited to be breaking into kilopixels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that's like you got two pixels on that thing, and you're just collecting <laughs> oh, light, man. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. The first CMB <laughs> observatory was one. Yeah. <laughs> so just we, we got up a lot. We got up. <laughs> You know, three hours of magnitude, almost four now. You know, that's yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, just a plastic mop bucket. Yeah, just collecting light, man. Yeah. So, 
yeah, we're up to kilopixels already. That's uh, that's our big deal. The one I'm working on right now is a telescope with a six meter dish and three 42 centimeter aperture reflect, uh, refractors. That entire setup, 60,000 pixels. <laughs> Actually, I might have that wrong. I wonder if that's Impressive. detectors, at which point it's like you know, 15,000 pixels. Yeah. But yeah. Wow. Hey, got to start somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, it scales with wavelength where millimeter waves are. Right. Detectors are millimeter scales. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right, guys. I got to go. I got people waiting. So, um, yep. I'm sorry. I got to uh-huh. I gotta, I gotta head it out. But uh, listen. Popular guy. Hasn't yeah. been drinking beer in a studio for the last three hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, I wish. I, yeah. I, I can't wait to listen back on this. Because now he's a popular guy. He hasn't been drinking beer for three hours. Jeez. <laughs> What's your problem, man? Tony. He's got friends. He's got people. Whatever. He's got people to be with. Space Junk was produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories for amateur and professional astronomers. And also check out spacejunkpodcast.com to learn more about new episodes and leave feedback and comments on what you think about the podcast.